Oh, Emily, thank you uh, very much. May I add my own welcome to you uh, to that of Diners? It's great to have you with us, particularly if you're uh, uh, new to us or, uh, or visiting. I uh, hope you'll feel very, very welcome. Uh, may I pray for us as we uh, prepare to look at uh, these words of St. John? Lord Jesus, you said elsewhere in the Gospel of St. John that when you are lifted up, you will draw all people to yourself. We know that referred supremely to your cross. Uh, But we know that also as you are lifted up, as your gospel is proclaimed, so you do draw people by your spirit to yourself. And we pray this evening that as we uh, consider this encounter with you that Nicodemus had, that you would be lifted up and so as you are exalted, you would draw us closer uh, to yourself. Uh, Help me as I speak, help us as we listen to hear your words uh, this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, I expect many of you will probably know I'm uh, a keen cricketer. I'm not particularly good, but I'm, I'm keen. Uh, it's the ambition of um, every cricketer, no matter how, uh, whatever their standard might be, I guess, uh, to become a member of the MCC. The MCC, for those of you who uh, don't know, is the Marylebone Cricket Club. It is the leading cricket club in the world. It's based at Lords. Uh, they set the sort of the uh, the rules for the for the game. Uh, it is a very, very prestigious thing to be a member of the MCC. And yet to become a member of the MCC, you can't just wander in and buy a tie and claim that you're now a member. There's quite a detailed uh, uh, sort of process to go through. Uh, lots of entrance requirements have to be fulfilled uh, if you are to become uh, a member. Uh, we are in uh, St. John's Gospel. Uh, for those of you who are, uh, who've just uh, arrived at Trinity uh, this evening, we're looking at some of the different encounters that the Lord Jesus had during his ministry. Uh, we've seen him calling his first followers, the disciples, uh, and showing them that he is the saviour that the Old Testament had promised uh, all the way back in the prophets. Uh, last week we saw him at a wedding, um, turning water into wine, uh, miraculous signs that pointed that something special was happening, that the Saviour is here. And tonight we see Jesus meeting a devout Jewish leader, uh, and he reveals that uh, to enter this kingdom that Jesus is speaking about, uh, three things must happen. They are three entrance requirements, if we want to uh, put it like that. Uh, The first one is that Jesus says that to enter the kingdom... We must be reborn. We must be reborn. Uh, Look with me if you've got your Bible open at uh, verse 1 of uh, John chapter 3. John writes, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. Uh, For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's striking to notice just how different Nicodemus is to many of the people that Jesus met. Uh, Lots of them were people who, I guess, we would say were on the fringes of society, the margins, the downtrodden, the dispossessed, uh, the people whose society had rejected. And Nicodemus is the complete polar opposite of that. Uh, John tells us uh, that he uh, was a Pharisee, man of the Pharisees, verse 1, and a member of the Jewish uh, ruling council. Uh, He was right at the very top of the tree in uh, the nation of Israel. 
Uh, the Pharisees were the spiritual elites of, um, of Palestine at the time. Quite literally, their name means the separated ones. Uh, they pride themselves on being those who kept uh, to the law, the Old Testament law, in every possible area. Uh, they, uh, as a result, they were separate from the, the common herd, the rest of the Jews. Uh, John's description of him as a ruler, a member of the Jewish ruling council, uh, strongly suggests he was probably a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were, the, uh, I guess, the Jewish supreme court. Uh, they oversaw all aspects of the Jewish religious life. Uh, he was a man, I guess, who we could say was very religious. He was one of the Pharisees, the separated ones. He was very powerful. He was a member of the, uh, the highest court in the, uh, in the Jewish world. And he was also most likely very, very wealthy. We're told at the end of the Gospel uh, that uh, he brought spices uh, to anoint uh, the, uh, uh, the, the body of Jesus as it was laid in the tomb. Uh, only a wealthy man would have been able to afford that. Uh, he is very, very different from most of the people uh, that Jesus meets. Uh, and I guess a very unlikely candidate to seek out a meeting uh, with Jesus. And yet, despite his unlikeliness, despite all his credentials, it is to Jesus that he comes. He comes to this guy, this uh, homeless prophet from Nazareth, the place that's at a bit of a backwater. Uh, this guy doesn't seem to have anything to offer. He's not particularly respectable. You certainly don't want to be seen if you're a Pharisee hobnobbing with this guy. And yet he comes to Jesus. Why? Well, it's clear, I think, from his opening words that something about Jesus had um, touched him. Verse uh, 2, John says, He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. I guess he'd been observing Jesus maybe for some time, perhaps just listening in at the edge of the the crowd. Uh, He'd seen something, he'd heard something something of his message, he recognised that Jesus was something special. There were lots of prophets at that time in Israel, uh, wandering around, all claiming something or other. Most of them were complete nutters. Something about Jesus set him apart. It had grabbed him. He knew he wasn't an ordinary man. This guy spoke with the authority of God himself, and he should be taken seriously. Jesus' response completely throws him, doesn't it? Verse 3, Jesus says in reply, uh, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What does he mean? Well, Jesus is saying that what matters is not being religious. It's not being uh, even somebody who recognises that Jesus is a wise man. Lots of people through history have done that. It's not even being impressed by his miracles, as Nicodemus uh, seems to be. What matters is that we are born again. Uh, That is, we're we're spiritually transformed by God himself. We're given a new heart and a new nature. Only when we're born again can we enter the kingdom of God. Jesus' talk about the kingdom of God would have been very familiar to Nicodemus. Uh, At that time, lots of devout Jews were looking forward uh, to a, a, a day when the promised Messiah would come. Uh, And he would usher in a new life of the kingdom, a life, eternal life, a salvation uh, life, this new age of the Messiah. And what is so shocking is that Jesus says that this day has arrived. 
This day that Nicodemus and all his friends have been waiting for has arrived. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises. He is the one that they have been waiting for. And more than that, he is the one who alone can give this salvation life, this eternal life that Nicodemus is working for. There's no amount of prayer or fasting that can earn it. It's not a question of giving a few more pennies to the poor, spending a little bit more time on your knees in the temple. Jesus says he's the one who offers it. And without this rebirth, this being born again, you can't enter the kingdom. Well, Nicodemus is clearly uh, baffled, isn't he? Verse 4. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Uh, You might expect Jesus to sort of answer his uh, query a little bit more and and go into it. And he doesn't really. All he does is he repeats what he said. What counts is not good works. It's not about being a powerful person. It's not about having a smart background. It's not about having lots of money. What counts is rebirth by the Holy Spirit, being born again. Uh, Someone has wisely observed that of all the world religions, Christianity is the only one that says that we can't earn our salvation. I think in many world religions, uh, almost all of them rest on this idea of sort of credit, credit and debit. If you can just earn things enough, you can get enough credit on the side of the ledger, at the end of uh, uh, of your life, something will turn out okay. Christianity says the complete opposite. We can never stack up enough credit on ourselves, by ourselves. It's not about doing enough good work. It's not about praying. It's not about coming to church. It's not about reading the Bible, as great as those things are. What matters is being born again. I guess in all of our hearts, we deep down believe that in some sense we can earn our salvation, don't we? I know I do. I so often live like that. We believe that somehow we can make a difference. If we can just be a little bit better, then that will kind of earn brownie points with God and things will be all right. And yet the Bible says that the problem is far worse than we could ever possibly imagine. Uh, Our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately sick, as the prophet Jeremiah said. Uh, We can't just stick a plaster on it and hope that things will be all right. We need a radically new heart, a new heart that uh, is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's a story told about the um, former chaplain general of the British Army during the Great War, who was a man called Bishop Taylor Smith. Uh, And he was once preaching on this passage uh, that we're looking at this evening in Salisbury Cathedral one Sunday morning. Uh, During his sermon, he warned that it's possible to be a churchgoer. It's possible to be a Sunday school teacher. It's possible to be an organist, a member of the choir. It's possible to be a missionary. It's even possible, dare we say it, to be a vicar and not to be born again. Two days later, he received a letter from an archdeacon, a senior uh, clergyman in the diocese who had been sitting in the congregation. And this is what it said. Sir, you found me out. I've been ordained 30 years, yet until last Sunday I had not been born again. I guess maybe some tonight are a little bit like Nicodemus, or that archdeacon. Maybe you would call yourself a sincere person. Uh, you mean well. Maybe you, you're a churchgoer. Perhaps you can say, well, I was christened when I was very little. Uh, I was even confirmed. That makes me all right, surely, doesn't it? And yet Jesus says that unless we've been born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's possible to be 
a moral person, to be very upstanding, to be a great citizen, to be a faithful student, to be a wonderful husband, a great mother, and yet not be born again. Don't ignore Jesus' words. The first requirement of entry to the kingdom, indeed the most important requirement, is that we are born again. We must be reborn. Secondly, uh, Jesus says uh, that if we are to enter the kingdom, uh, we must be rescued. Uh, Look with me at uh, verse uh, 9. Nicodemus is again confused. He says, how can this be? Uh, Nicodemus asked. Uh, Jesus points out to him that, well, if anyone shouldn't be confused, it it should be Nicodemus. Uh, Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Uh, Nicodemus ought to get it. He's a man who is, uh, he, he's a, a fully paid teacher. He's the one who's done the study. He ought to know. He knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. He should know, if anyone does, uh, what Jesus is going on about. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't get into an argument with him. doesn't repeat things. He just encourages him to listen and to trust as he explains. I guess most of us are uh, more inclined to listen to somebody if uh, we think they know what they're talking about. You know, if, they, if uh, somebody gives a lecture about Australia, it's, uh, you know, you'd hope they've actually been to Australia in order to say something about it. And astonishingly, Jesus says that what he says is not something that he's read about somewhere else or heard about secondhand, but something that he has experienced uh, for himself. He says that as the Son of God, he alone has seen the Father and can speak the word of truth. Verse 13, he says, No one has ever gone into the heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, He is the one who can speak of these things. He's got real experience. He's seen this as the Son of God. He's been to heaven. He's seen the Father and he can speak of the truth. Uh, He is, as John said back in his prologue in the first chapter, He's the God who's at the Father's side and has made him known. And the truth that he makes known, the truth that he takes from heaven itself, is that if we are to enter the kingdom, if we're to enjoy this eternal life that he speaks of, we need a rescue. Verse 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's a bit of an unusual uh, story here. Jesus is referencing a story, right, which uh, is back in uh, Numbers 21 uh, in the Old Testament. It's a story uh, from the life of Israel when the Israelites were in the the desert, Uh, an episode where they grumbled and uh, rebelled against God. And in judgment, God sent on them a plague of deadly snakes, Understandably, as uh, naturally as the play, as the uh, snakes uh, went through the uh, through the camp, uh, people were bitten, and they died. Uh, and when the people returned to God, when they called out to Him for mercy, God instructed Moses to make an image of a, a bronze serpent and to hold it up, uh, so that everyone who looked at it would be uh, entrusted in God's power to heal, would indeed uh, be healed. Uh, I'm not an architect or an engineer, but um, I'm told that in architecture and engineering, it's common to, to make what's known as a mock-up. It's almost like a kind of uh, sort of a model 
a full-scale model of something that you're planning uh, to, uh, to do in the future. Uh, and the Old Testament is full of these, I guess what we could call mock-ups. Uh, they're these kind of um, things that point ahead to something that's going to happen in the future. Uh, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we, we were looking at how John the Baptist was pointing at three sort of mock-ups or pictures uh, of Jesus when he called him the Lamb of God, uh, looking ahead uh, to Calvary. And Jesus says that, in effect, this story from uh, Numbers, this story that seems incredibly remote and uh, unhelpful, is actually a mock-up of what is going to happen. It's a mock-up of the great rescue that Jesus is going to achieve at the cross. Uh, Just as the Israelites were healed by looking at the bronze serpent and trusting in God's power to save, uh, so too, as Jesus is lifted up on the cross, uh, will we be healed from the plague of sin, plague of sin and death, by looking at him and trusting in his power to save. It is the great rescue plan that God has produced for our salvation. And Jesus says that unless we've grasped hold of that for ourselves, we cannot enter the kingdom. We must be rescued. Uh, think back a few uh, years ago, you might remember uh, the episode of the Chilean miners, the 33, as they were known. Uh, 33 Chilean miners were uh, trapped underground, 2,000 feet uh, underground in solid rock after uh, the, a main tunnel had collapsed and uh, um, blocked their, um, their exit. Uh, above ground, rescue teams were work- working frantically uh, to, uh, to save these guys, against the clock, against the odds. No one had ever been rescued from that depth underground before. Uh, the situation seemed completely hopeless. Well, the Bible explains that facing all of us is a plight that's far worse than that. Uh, we've all turned against God. We've done what the Israelites did back in the desert. We've turned against him. We deserve his, his anger and his punishment. For our rebellion, it's fair. That's the consequences. Uh, We deserve to be cut off from him, now and forever. Uh, And the Bible says that the one rescue that we have is in the cross. The only hope of rescue, in fact, is in the cross. For the miners, it was uh, a NASA uh, shuttle, uh, highly uh, technical and uh, and, uh, designed specifically for the situation. Uh, For us, it is the cross of Christ. That is God's uh, rescue plan for us. It is the love of God who sent his son to die in our place, to take the punishment that we deserved, that we could be free, that we could have eternal life with him. I don't know what you think of when you uh, consider the cross. Uh, Lots of people have uh, rejected it as being, I guess, a bit primal, a bit messy and a bit sort of... This idea that this person would die for us, would die a horrible death uh, for the sin of the world on our behalf. Um, Alfred Eyer, the um, former professor of philosophy at Oxford, uh, famously described it in an interview as intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. We might not use those words, that's a bit, uh, bit grand, but we probably think something similar. It just seems a bit messy. It's an affront to our pride, isn't it, that we can't do anything to save ourselves, that we needed someone else to do it for us. And yet, however disgusting, however hard, however much an affront to our pride, it's our only hope. To enter the kingdom, we need a rescue, and that rescue must be 
the rescue of the cross. Finally, Jesus says to enter the kingdom, we must respond. We must respond. Uh, 2005, the city of New Orleans was hit by storm surges as Hurricane uh, Katrina swept across uh, uh, that part of the world. Uh, And at great cost to their own personal safety, uh, the US Coast Guard and a number of other rescue organisations went out to, uh, to rescue those who were trapped in their homes. Uh, and yet, bizarrely, when they actually got to them, they realised that quite a lot of them didn't actually want to be rescued. Uh, they'd rather sit in their uh, homes and be flooded and stay with their possessions. They turned down the offer of rescue. Seems astonishing, doesn't it? Uh, at the heart of our passage is the most famous verse in the Bible. We've already had it on the, uh, the screen. It's uh, everybody's verse, as uh, somebody once uh, called it. Out of his astounding and undeserved love... God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die for us, that when we turn to him, in faith we might be saved. St. Augustine, one of the great uh, thinkers of the Christian church, said that uh, it's the action of a God who loves each of us as if there was only one of us to love. And yet as wonderful as that love is, as wonderful as the love of the cross is for us, uh, Jesus is clear that it's also a love that demands a response. It's a response either of acceptance and life or rejection and death. John explains that the purpose of God in sending Jesus was salvation, not condemnation. Verse uh, 17. Uh, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God's desire is that all of us should turn to him, turn to Jesus and be saved, to accept this offer of rescue that he's made. And yet the sad truth is that just as the residents of New Orleans turn their back on the rescue, so too uh, do we by nature. We too can choose to reject the rescue of the cross. And John says that for those who do, the inevitable result, sadly, is condemnation. Uh, Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If we don't accept the cross, we don't respond. We've turned away, we've turned our back on the rescue that's been offered. It seems astonishing, doesn't it, that anyone should turn that offer down. And yet John says that that's actually the default position of all of us. He goes on, verse 19, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light that it may be seen plainly that what he's done has been done through God. By nature, John says, we love the darkness instead of light. Our deeds are evil. Uh, We're rebels who would much rather embrace uh, the darkness of sin over the light of life. Why? Because we know that if we stepped into light, uh, we would uh, be exposed for who we are. Uh, There's a story told about the uh, Greek philosopher Socrates. Uh, He had a friend who was called uh, Alcibiades, who was a a very, very greedy man. He was quite well known for his greed. And apparently Alcibiades used to say to uh, Socrates that he despised him. Why? Why? Because Socrates exposed him for who he really was. 
he showed him that he was frankly a greedy so-and-so. And I guess the same for us is true of the Lord Jesus. Instinctively, we don't like him. We hate him because he exposes for us who we really are, that we are a mess, that we're self-centered, we're selfish. We've turned our back on God. We do so many things that break his heart, uh, that uh, cause pain. The world's attitude to Jesus is no difference. There's no difference. And yet, John says that when we embrace this truth, when we embrace the light, we're living by the truth and we're experiencing God's work on our behalf. We're transformed from this situation of death to life. We cross over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I don't think Nicodemus could have been in any doubt by the end of this meeting with Jesus what was required of him. And I don't think we can either. Uh, entrance into God's kingdom is not on the basis of achievement. It's not about good deeds. It's not about being religious. It's not about our family background. What counts is being reborn by the Holy Spirit, being rescued by the Son, and responding to the offer of the Father. Uh, I don't know where you're at this evening. There'll be some of you, perhaps this is uh, old news, and uh, you accepted Christ a long, long time ago. You made that response, and that's wonderful. Uh, there'll be some tonight, this is new, uh, and you'll, this is very new, and you'll want some time to uh, mull it over, to think about it. Uh, may I just have a plug for Alpha? We're running our Alpha course um, this uh, term. Alpha is a great opportunity to explore something about uh, the Christian faith. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does he offer us? And you're very, very, very welcome. Do, uh, do join us if you'd like that. But there will be some tonight who will be aware they need to make a response. And actually tonight will be the night. Uh, you know that uh, you need to take a step and you need to make a response. Uh, the Bible explains that to respond to this offer, uh, we need to do three things. We need to admit that uh, we've gone wrong, admit that we love the darkness and reject we've rejected God. We need to believe that Jesus has died for us. He's taken the punishment. And when we look at him, we're saved. And finally, we must come. We must come to him and ask for his forgiveness uh, to respond, to ask him to transform us by his Holy Spirit so that we can live for him. Andrew, I'm going to ask you to uh, put a prayer up on the screen. We don't often do this at Holy Trinity, but I do think it's appropriate. Uh, and I'm just going to ask us to have a moment to be quiet. Uh, it's up on the screen. Um, uh, it's a chance to look through it, to read it, and just to ponder it in your hearts. Uh, and if it's right, in a moment, I'm going to uh, pray it. Uh, and if it's right for you, echo it in your own heart. That's uh, so just between you and God. It's not between uh, anyone else. No one's going to uh, be looking at you. Uh, but just read it through. And if this is something that you want to pray, if this is something that you can uh, pray, then I invite you to pray it uh, with me. It's a moment to be still, shall we? So, Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for turning away from you and living my life in my own way. I admit that I have sinned in my thinking, in my words, and in my actions. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and a fresh start. I accept your gift.
please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to take control and be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, the waiting list for the MCC is 25 years, I think, at the uh, moment. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, or you prayed that something like it some other time, you are a member of the kingdom of God. And you always will be. You can be sure of that. There's no waiting list. Uh, if you have prayed that prayer for the first time tonight, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk that through, explain a bit about what that means. Uh, there's going to be some people at the end of the service uh, down by the font there who'd love to pray with you. I'd love to speak with you as well if uh, you'd like that. Do come. Uh, we'd love to talk with you. Uh, but let's uh, praise God that truly he has provided a way for us to be rescued and to be made right with him. Let's uh, pray, shall we, as I close. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for Nicodemus. And we thank you that the evidence of the scripture suggests that he made a commitment to you. He responded uh, to the offer that you gave him. And we thank you that truly you do uh, provide us with the hope of a rescue because you love us. Uh, And we pray for all of us, whatever situation we might be, that we would draw close to you, we would respond to your offer of salvation and know the hope of forgiveness, reconciliation with you and enter the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.